Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and Don Muchow. And narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner. The Traveling Salesman, Part 12. Otto sat quietly at a table in the galley, staring worshipfully at his tray of chicken Alfredo, while Glactol fidgeted with a unitool. At a table opposite us and closer to the door, Harold seemed engaged in some kind of silent communication with the robot that had cooked our food. Meanwhile, my mind churned on a topic that had bothered me ever since the four of us left Drimjack's massive space station. Doesn't it bother you? I began. That Drimjack's name was Thaddeus? Why should it? Glactol replied, without looking up. It's a perfectly ordinary name. He returned to the unitool and continued fidgeting where he left off. For Earth, I said. A thousand years ago. It's a big universe, said Glactol. Open your eyes. Open yours, I said. Think about it. How does a guy with lizard skin end up with a thousand-year-old Earth name? That would mean his family came from Earth, or at least visited it. That would mean that the dinosaurs didn't die out like we thought, or that the conspiracy theorists who said Earth was ruled by reptilian overlords were right, or that perhaps his parents inbred with perhaps he was adopted, said Glactol. Not all families are of the homogenous man-woman-child variety. Why does it matter so much to you? Show me on this doll where the galactic community of civilizations hurt you. What? Are you the victim here? What's wrong with you, Bob? What's really eating you? Where did you pick up that phrase? I asked. Show me on this doll. My apologies, Glactol said. I was trying to fit in, seem more human, relax your mind a bit after a traumatic event. A back massage would have worked better. I'm not giving you a back massage, Bob. I made a mock pouty face. But you're changing the subject, said Glactol. Something's troubling you. When that happens, you invest your attention deeply in trivia as a way to avoid dealing with what's in front of you. Fine, I said curtly. I've been worried that your ruse back at the station didn't work. That Drimjack and Chief Bear will catch up to us and string our bodies from a tree for the crows to eat. Crows? asked Glactol. They are a species of intelligent scavenger native to your world. Why would they travel across the interstellar void to feast on our remains? It was a metaphor, Glactol. Just once I would like to have an ordinary conversation at the dinner table. But now you've gone and ruined that. I picked up the spork that was lying next to my plate and, after struggling to keep the pasta on it, finally managed to raise a sp- for- You know what, whatever. I got some into my mouth and it was cold. I glowered at Glactol, whom I silently judged as the sole determinant of my destiny. Glactol saw through the petulance instantly. I didn't make your pasta cold, he said. It was hot when you started talking. Maybe when you're done, we can actually have a conversation. This is really good, 
said Otto. I am so grateful I could cry. Please don't cry, Glactol said to Otto. It's going to be okay. No, it's not! I found myself exclaiming, then realized that Glactol might have a point. I did need to get something off my chest. I stood up and faced Glactol. Glactol, I said, I haven't been honest with you. I've enjoyed our adventures, but I've started to tire of constantly being either a famous and widely feared criminal, a trillionaire businessman, and the subject of a galactic manhunt. I can't even believe I just said that, in fact. But I keep asking myself when we're going to cash in and go buy a planet somewhere where we could settle down and live normal lives. We already own a planet, said Glactol. At least that's what our accountant told me. I'm sorry if you don't like it. Accountants lose things, I said. Remember all those offices at Drimjack's space station? Convince me there's anyone back there that knows where Otto's last expense report actually ended up. Otto looked worried. They lost my expense report? Oh no. Please, stay on point, said Glactol. It's just an example, I said. Anyway, what I mean is, whether or not we actually own a planet, it's just another tool in one of our capers. It's not home. I want to go home. Back to Earth? I swallowed, unsure if I meant what I was about to say. Maybe? We can take you back to Earth, said Glactol, if that is your desire. I'm not sure it is, I replied. Besides, it hasn't been the same since the zombie apocalypse and all that stuff you did with the cattle. We did, Glactol countered. Don't throw alien cattle probe tropes at me. It's racist. What I mean to say is, I want something normal. Normal is what you make of circumstances by accepting them, said Glactol. Wow, said Otto between mouthfuls. That's profound. What philosopher is that from? Me, said Glactol. I was trying to shut you up. But Bob, I understand. We'll find normal as soon as we can. And when we find it, we can stop and let you off. But you should know, I'll miss you. You're not making this any easier, I said. Glactol was unusually frank. It isn't easy for me, Bob. You're my only friend. You're the only one I trust. But if the time has come for you to say goodbye... Wait, I interrupted. What if we didn't have to say goodbye? What if the secret to normal was just getting away from all the stress? Going somewhere else? Or some when? When we were in the hall of a buttload of doors, I said. We could pick our destiny. But we don't have the portal key, said Glactol. Letting Drimjack and Chief Bear have it was the only way I could think of to get rid of them so we could escape. But I spent a lot of time making plans while I was pretending to be Drimjack. Like, what kind of plans? I asked, with obvious disbelief. He was always telling me how he had plans when he was just faking it, with no clue what we were going to do next. Well, 
he replied with a grin. With access to all of Drimjack's files and systems, I was able to access his private files and discovered a few things of great importance. Like what? I asked again. Really? Give me something specific. I wasn't going to let him get away with just saying, trust me. Okay, first of all, I found something of incredible value, a treasure of such magnitude that it could purchase not just multiple planets, but multiple star systems. I started to say something snarky and then paused. Glactol was beaming proudly, and I realized this wasn't just idle bragging. He had found something important. Do you know what a Nova Corps is? Not really. I've heard the term, but don't really know. What is it? Harold promptly answered, saying, A Nova Corps is what sometimes left behind after a supernova explosion. In the few short days that Nova expands energy at its maximum rate, virtually all heavy elements are produced via a myriad of previously impossible nuclear reactions. Out of habit, I almost told Harold to be quiet. But for perhaps the first time, he was actually answering a question with useful information. While almost all of the heavy elements thus produced are scattered widely by the star's explosion, Harold continued, a tiny fraction of heavier elements can actually be compressed into an ultra-dense mass that can survive the conflagration. Nova cores are unstable and often explode spontaneously, but fragments of these heavy metal-rich nodes have actually been found. I was about to interrupt when Harold decided to dump bits of trivia into his mental blender. Nova cores are also a popular topic of fantasy adventures, treasure hunters, and interstellar prospectors, though only a few have ever been discovered. He added, Wow, I mumbled then turned to Glactyl. Are you serious? Harold answered. Yes, if you wish, I can provide you with a list of fantasy stories and 3D senses where Nova cores are found. This list includes, among others, Ingvi's famous tetralogy. Shut up! Glactyl and I shouted simultaneously. Nevertheless, Glactyl nodded enthusiastically. Amongst Drimjack's other records, he said, I found details of a lost Nova Corps. It was small, less than 100 kilometers across, but it consists of metals like copper, silver, platinum, gold, titanium, rare earths, heavy metals, and even unstable transuranic elements, not to mention crystals of stabilized neutronium. A hundred clicks doesn't seem very big, I said. Even given its composition, there are a lot of asteroids bigger than that. Well, Bob, Glactyl explained, in a way that, at the moment, felt particularly patronizing. If you consider that all the gold ever mined in the history of Earth would consist of a sphere less than 100 meters across, then a 100-kilometer chunk of almost pure precious and heavy metals is pretty damned big. Its value exceeds the total mineral wealth of most planets. This Nova Core was estimated to contain more concentrated wealth in one rock than is available for mining in most star systems. 
Anyway, it's been lost for more than 800 years. The location or the thing itself? Both, until now. Does it have a name? I asked. Or is it just called something like Giant Hunk of Metal? It was called Teratnovar, said Glactal, which means the Gem of Heaven in some archaic language. I forgot which one. You said it was lost, I replied. How can you lose something that size or that important? Ah, well, said Glactal, that's a long story. But to keep it short, the original owners didn't want to haul it across multiple light years to process it. So they decided to teleport it to its destination. Teleport? Yeah, they were supposed to create a matched pair of wormholes and push the rock through it. It would disappear at one end and reappear at the other. Unfortunately, they had never created a portal that large, and the portal collapsed as soon as the rock entered it. Or maybe the radioactive nature of the rock disrupted the portal. I don't know. No one knows for sure. Anyway, the engineers figured the rock popped out somewhere else, and although they searched for it for decades, they never found it. That was 800 years ago, and treasure hunters are still looking for it. El Dorado, I mumbled. What? asked Glactal. Nothing. It's an old legend from Earth about a lost mountain of gold. That may be apropos said Glactal, but Drimjack's records actually showed its location. A scientist researching the object found that it had reappeared and been found several times over the past eight centuries. On one occasion, they even managed to get a few hundred pounds of the material from the core surface. However, the really annoying part is that the damned rock always disappears again. Ah... I began, pretending to understand, only to find myself catching up with my own thoughts and saying, Wait, what? This is where it gets interesting, said Glactal, with some relish. The scientist whose work is mentioned in Drimjack's files had deduced the attempts to teleport the rock instead catapulted it across space and time, like a stone skipping across the surface of a pond. Fortunately, his calculation showed where it would finally stop. It would reappear at the edge of a distant nebula, whose location is not too far a journey from our present location. The only problem is that we aren't quite sure when the Teratnovar will arrive there. So we might be way early or way late. In any event, the scientist reported it to his sponsor, a firm working for Drimjack. And shortly thereafter, the scientist mysteriously died. For some reason, Drimjack kept its discovery secret. <laughs> I can imagine, I said. So what are we going to do with it? Mine it? Harvest the precious metals? I wish, said Glactal. It would make us two of the wealthiest people outside the core worlds but it would take decades to mine the rock, a fleet of ships to transport the refined ore, a small industry to distribute and sell the commodities, 
and far more resources than we have in order to defend it from greedy pirate fleets and nearby star systems. So what will we do with it instead? I asked. Sell it? Exactly, said Glactal. All we need to do is find the right buyer. I figure that with 10% commission, we would garner more than a trillion galactic credits. We would never have to travel again, and we wouldn't have to get our hands dirty with the thing itself. Here we go, I said. What's the catch? We have to be very careful, said Glactal. There are people who would find it much cheaper and easier to simply kill us and take the information. We have to remain anonymous, and we have to find the right buyer, or buyers, before they find us. And your plan is to... To create a fake identity, replied Glactal. We will present ourselves as a team of negotiators, or one of many groups who are seeking on behalf of the purported real sellers, serious buyers who might want to acquire the location of Tarat Novar. After we gather enough investors, we sell off, or auction off, the location of the prize. The buyer's payment will pass through a series of fake bank accounts, where we can access the funds without anyone discovering who we really are. That's great, I said. But you said you discovered a couple things while rifling Drimjack's private files. Yes, but that was the important one. The other is interesting, but not as valuable. What? Well, I found out who Drimjack really is, and where he came from. I felt my eyebrows furrowing, which doesn't usually happen, and found myself reaching up to get a feel for what it looked like to other people. It was disgusting, like a flesh caterpillar. I instantly changed my expression to that of a more academic curiosity. But I was still concerned, and it must have still showed. I figure he was just a run-of-the-mill mob boss, I said, as if there is such a thing. Stereotypes are dangerous, said Glactal. They can be used against you. I know, I replied peevishly. You haven't let me forget that all day. But anyway, regardless of that or any other prejudices I may accidentally commit and forever learn to regret, what's so damn special about Drimjack's past? Well, he apparently appeared out of nowhere about 40 years ago. He was already quite rich and powerful and quickly took over the Bentuzi cartel. His private files indicate that he came from a civilization called the Haloth Zulti. Huh. I've never heard of them. Well, maybe not, but you know about them, said Glactal. There are two interesting things about them. First, they're who created the Unitool. Second, they're an ancient civilization that predates the Zill. Interesting, I said. But if they vanished a million years ago, how'd he get here? The same way we did. Time travel. Wait, I said. I still don't get it. Why would Drimjack pick here and now as his destination? Glactal's eyes narrowed as if he were about to do a big reveal, which incidentally, it turns out, was exactly what he planned to do. What do you know about 
time travelers? He asked slyly. I thought for a second and my eyes grew wide. The, the men in black, back on Earth. The ones who came and watched the almost zombie apocalypse that we triggered there. Yes, exactly. Apparently the Holoth Zulti discovered time travel a million years ago, and since then have ensured that no one else ever gains that capability. They are indeed the men in black you met back on Earth. So, uh, let me get this straight, I said. So, Thaddeus Drimjack, the Lizard Man, is the progeny of an incredibly advanced and ancient time-traveling civilization that blows stars up for fun and creates interdimensional portal keys as a hobby? Fuck. There are many things wrong with what you just said, replied Glactol some of which are prosecutable on more civilized worlds. But in essence, yes, Drimjack's race created the Unitool. Drimjack's race has been watching our adventures ever since Earth. Drimjack's name was well established on Earth many decades before I even met you. So, no wonder he recognized the Unitool, I said. Glactol was smiling so hard that he was showing all his teeth, which I found a bit unsettling. That also means that one of the functions of the Unitool might be time travel. Wow, I muttered. So is it? I don't know, said Glactol. I found the instruction manual, but there are more than 10,000 different functions, and the directions aren't indexed. If the Unitool does have that capability, I haven't found it yet. But there is no reason to doubt it is one of the functions. If so, I need more time to determine its method of operation. Wait, I stuttered. If Drimjack is a member of a race of time travelers, then why is he here, in this time? Well, said Glactol, from what I read in his notes, when the men in black have a falling out or a problem with people disrupting the time stream, they don't kill them. They simply exile them. They drop them into some random time and place and leave them there. Apparently, Drimjack was exiled to this century, and with his knowledge of ancient history or future history, he became successful and rose through the ranks until he was in charge of the Bentuzi Cartel. Jeez, I said. It explained a lot. I waited, but Glactol had grown silent. Finally, I pressed him. All right then, so what's the plan to sell this rock? First, said Glactol, we have to go to a planet called Centrex. It's the financial center of the core worlds. We will have access to an account there that I set up while pretending to be Drimjack. But don't worry, I erased all record of the fundraiser after I created the account. Then we'll create a new identity for our mysterious seller. And then we'll assume new identities and set up an auction to a very select group of potential buyers. Fortunately, Drimjack planned ahead and had a dozen fictitious people created that we can use. The seller will be a persona called Gaspar Poe. Next, we'll hire about 20 other agents who will act as two-man teams of negotiators to approach prospective buyers. They'll seek out and solicit some of the most powerful and important people in the galaxy to participate in our auction. Lastly, we'll have to show proof of our story. 
before we can sell the location. How do we do that? Well, did you see that large box that I brought on board? The one that was blackened about 20 centimeters across? It's a heavily shielded carrier that contains small chunks of the Novacore gathered the last time the Teratnovar reappeared. Our negotiating teams will provide samples to prospective buyers to confirm the authenticity of our story. That should be sufficient to establish our bona fides. Then we sell them the rock or its location or whatever, right? Mm, technically, no. We get them to believe they are buying it. Ah, so this is a scam, I said. I should have known. I prefer the term multi-proxy leveraged transaction, said Glactyl. But yes, since we know the location but not the time or place it will appear, we have nothing to guarantee. Remember, it's still skipping through time and space. So, I said, we're telling them the truth about the location, but it might not show up for a few years, right? Centuries, perhaps, said Glactyl. Anyway, we need to seal the deal and disappear before they find that flaw in our story. So, as I was explaining, we'll pose as two members of one of Gaspar Poe's negotiator teams. But we play dumb. We don't know the location. We're just soliciting buyers. If anyone suspects that we know the location of the Tarat Novar, they'll kill us, cut off our heads, and scan our brains for the information. Okay, you convinced me. Let's get started with it, but this one's the last scam, and then I get a long vacation. Fair enough? Sure, said Glactyl. Oh, and one last thing. We really do need to wrap this up as soon as possible. Since we faked our death when we left Drimjack's headquarters, I'm worried that if he really is from the lost Hlothzulti civilization, he may be able to navigate his way out of the Zil Nexus and return. The sooner we finish up and get away, the safer I will feel. Glactyl didn't usually worry about such things. The fact that he was doing so now didn't inspire confidence. But what other choice was there? It was then that Otto finally spoke up. So, what do I do? He asked. The question seemed so simple, so innocent, and undemanding that it made me wonder about Otto's past. Somehow I felt sad for him, and like I wanted to give him a hug, but it probably would have burst him into tears. You, Glactyl said to Otto, will be my personal bodyguard. Your job will be to kill anyone that tries to hurt either of us. Got it? Yes, sir, said Otto gleefully. I can do that, sir. Oh, I added, you'll also need to keep him quiet, I said, pointing at Harold. Mr. The Llama is a quadruped over there? Sir, yes, sir, responded Otto. And for a moment, I actually thought he was going to salute. Glactyl and I arrived at an extremely high upper-class establishment called the Barking Hortle. I didn't know whether Hortles barked normally, or if so, what it was supposed to mean. So whatever play on words was going on, it went right over my head. As we reached the top of the tall, wide staircase, I gasped, 
The room was the size of a huge sports stadium and was filled with at least a couple thousand people who were gathered in hundreds of small groups around strange machines that filled the air with noise and bright multicolored flashing lights. It was like a Las Vegas casino, but orders of magnitude bigger. This is a grand bazaar of the Barking Hortle Galactic Emporium, said Glactal. It is the oldest gambling establishment in the core worlds. What began as a small gambling den now covers the entire planet. What you see here is one, just one, of the main gaming rooms, but there are hundreds more like it. I stood in awe of the spectacle before me. You said it covers the whole planet? Yes, the entire world is devoted to gaming and gambling. You can participate in any type of game and bet on virtually anything. Strange exotic sports, games of chance, games of skill. One game is based on a fantasy about galactic domination and has been going on for 300 years. Places in the game are passed down from father to son over generations. I didn't know gambling was popular in the galaxy. I said, Oh my, yes, replied Glactal, especially amongst the rich and powerful. One continent in the southern hemisphere is entirely devoted to war games, but the games are very serious. There are battles with armies of mercenary soldiers who will fight with swords, blasters, or any weapons for a price. The gaming authorities host games using tanks, drones, and robotic warriors. They even have battles at sea with every type of ship conceivable. Most have rules. With others, anything goes. Well, except nuclear weapons. Those are explicitly forbidden. Well, at least there's that, I said. Wouldn't want to start a global war in the middle of a global war. Glactal shook his head. Sorry, I don't get it, he said. Anyway, another large island is devoted to big game hunting. Sportsmen there face some of the most dangerous creatures in the galaxy. Real monsters brought in from the most distant worlds, or bred locally for dangerous encounters. As the three of us descended a long flight of stairs, I studied the nearest gaming pit. There were perhaps a few hundred well-dressed humanoids of various species mingling and making conversation while officious-looking servers milled about among them, refilling drinks. It looked like meeting people here was as important as the games they played. And as awestruck as I was, I nevertheless picked up on the vibe. We had walked into some kind of James Bond meets Star Wars setup, and I needed to be careful. It didn't matter if Greedo shot first, if you were still going to end up dead. Glactal gestured at the crowd. There are thousands of different games you can play here. Fortunes are won and lost almost hourly in this place. I get it, Glactal. I really do. You can kill the whole tour guide thing. I've kind of soured on that for the time being. Understood, Glactal said, tight-lipped. Which was saying something, since he didn't really have noticeable lips. And if he had... I was pretty sure they were already tight. We paused on the steps and studied the gathering of rich and powerful patrons gathered nearby. My eyes were drawn to a particularly loud and gregarious individual whose very presence seemed to demand attention. People huddled about him, and standing next to him was a voluptuous female of a feline species that I was not familiar with. Come and mingle, 
said Glacto. We need to introduce ourselves and be seen. However, before we could introduce ourselves to anyone, the alien woman turned and approached us. She was dressed in an exquisite, tight-fitting red gown that looked like she had been poured into it. Walking directly up to me, she leaned close and sniffed me, smiling as if she enjoyed what she smelled. I know who you are, she whispered. My heart skipped a beat and a chill of fear raced up my spine. Had we been discovered so quickly? Trying to play it cool, I replied. Oh, you think so? Yes, she said, almost hissing at me. You are two of Gaspar Poe's agents. He is selling the location of the Terrat Novar at an auction tomorrow night. I nodded knowingly. So how would you know that? I asked. Because one of Gaspar's other teams tried to invite me to that auction. But I am too busy, so I declined. Ah, I said, trying my best to act like a suave, sophisticated intergalactic man of mystery. And yet, here you are. I know more, she said, purring gently. Then she reached out and touched my throat. I felt claws in her fingers extend as she grasped my neck. I also know that you two gentlemen are grifters. I can tell just by the way you size up a crowd. That man you were just studying is taken. The mark is mine. I've been working with him for two weeks. Leave now if you value your well-being. Wait, said Glactol. You are correct in your assumptions, Glactol continued. We do work for Gaspar Poe, and we do have other skills that might be advantageous in a place like this. However, we are not interested in your mark. There are far too many ample opportunities in this venue for us to intrude in on your turf. Still, it might be worthwhile to chat. That is, if you would render the courtesy of unhanding my companion. Can I kill her now? Asked Otto as he pressed the plasma pistol against the woman's back. Hissing, she released me as her claws retreated. I raised my hand to my neck, touching a single drop of blood where one had touched me. This lady means business, I said to myself. I tried to swallow, but my throat was dry. Smiling, she addressed Glactol. My name is Vecna, and I might let you buy me a drink later. Perhaps we can talk. You might even prove to be useful. Meet me at the main bar in an hour. Then she turned and sashayed her way into the crowd. Walking up to the next large, loud man that I had noted before, she slipped her arm around his and put her head on his shoulder. He patted her gently, but continued telling some long, drawn-out story to people around him who pretended to be enthralled. Since he wasn't all that interesting, I concluded that he must be very, very rich. As Glactyl and I slowly watched, she turned her head and smirked with a very predatory smile. Swallowing awkwardly, I whispered, What the fuck was that? That, said Glactyl, is a world-class hustler, my friend, not unlike ourselves. I thought she was going to rip my throat out, I said, rubbing it. There wasn't a real problem, Glactyl said reassuringly. She was just marking her territory, 
Hers is a rather predatory species and is not one to be trifled with. Yeah, I could tell. So, what do we do now? Well, said Glactol, since we have more than a day to kill before the auction, I suggest we entertain ourselves. Like what? Gambling? I don't recognize any of these games. Actually, I was thinking we should learn more about Vecna and her mark. Why? I asked. What are you thinking? Glactol's eyes narrowed. I'm thinking we might find out what she's really after, and maybe we'll con that con woman and take her target after all. For a moment, I thought about the implications of that and remembered the feel of her claws on my neck. Very well, I said. But if that's what we're going to do, I think I could use a really strong drink first. As I made my way toward the main bar, I turned and glanced back at Vecna. She was surrounded by several men, who were all vying for her attention. However, as I started to turn away, she saw me and winked at me. I nearly stumbled then, but recovered and hurried my pace toward the main bar as Glactyl laughed and followed. After a moment, Otto holstered his pistol and scurried to catch up with us. The Traveling Salesman continues in Part 13, where Glactyl's and Bob's best laid plans go astray. Thank you for listening. As you know by now, we love our listeners, fans, patrons, and supporters. This year, 2024, you're going to be noticing some changes to the podcast. There is going to be some new channel artwork, new authors, more new authors, and we'll be airing some old favorites. So we'd like to hear from you and let us know what you think. The best way to do that is to subscribe on our website, untold-tales.com. That's untold dash T-A-L-E-S dot com. Yes, I can spell. Um, We want to make sure that we are creating uh, stories and an experience that you're enjoying. So subscribe on our website. That'll put you on our email list and you'll be notified of when we will be voting on the new channel artwork and other podcast goodies. We hope to hear from you. Again, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.